This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for joining me for the recent episodes, uh, both the Malta and North Macedonia preview uh, and there was the review as well. They both went down really well. Thank you very much. Uh, If you happen to miss them, they are available at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. But with the Women's World Cup getting ever closer, that is where this episode is going. Uh, Coming up, I'll be catching up with Rich Laverty and also going down under with Paul Letters. Stay tuned if you're going, uh, as Paul, he's got some great tips for your trip. First, though, the Lionesses, they finally managed to arrange a send-off friendly before they make that long trip across to the other side of the globe. Portugal at Milton Keynes Stadium MK. It's on Saturday the 1st of July with kickoff 3.15. Now the last time they played, you may remember, was the first time the girls tasted defeat under Serena Weigman, losing to Australia by two goals to nil at Brentford. So they'll be looking to put that behind them and start a new unbeaten streak. But Portugal, from a historical point of view, they're a nation that we've played nine times before, winning six, drawing two, and only losing once. Our most recent meeting was back in 2019 in an away friendly that we won by a goal to nil, thanks to a goal from Beth Mead. Now, Portugal were one of the last sides to qualify for the World Cup. After coming second to Germany in their group, they then went on to the first round of playoffs. In round one, they beat Belgium 2-1. Then they saw off Iceland in round two, 4-1. Then they went on to the Inter-Confederation playoffs, where 10 teams would be whittled down to the last three. Portugal They travelled all the way to New Zealand, where they'd beat Cameroon 2-1 to secure their place. Uh, It took them a total of 13 games to make it to the World Cup. Uh, Incidentally, our group opponents, Haiti, they took a similar route, uh, although they didn't play as many games. But Portugal, whilst they were over in New Zealand, they also played a friendly against the Kiwis, winning 5-0. Now, it'll be Portugal's debut appearance in the World Cup. And their reward was to be placed in Group E alongside holders, the United States, uh, Vietnam and the Netherlands are also in their group. And that group will be played um, in New Zealand. And whilst we're talking about debut appearances, uh, it's the same for Haiti, the Republic of Ireland and also Panama. Okay then, uh, let's check in with Rich Laverty.
Now, it's my pleasure to welcome Rich Laverty to the podcast once again. Hello, Rich. Hi, mate. You okay? Very well, thank you. Very well. It's not far away now, is it? You must be getting excited. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a strange build-up, obviously, with, with various things, broadcast deals, and, and obviously the sort of club versus country row, and, and yeah, obviously injuries and things like that, so... Yeah, it's it's kind of been like a prolonged build-up. I was actually talking to someone about this the other day, how I think England four years ago, I think it's tomorrow, they would have been playing their second round game against Cameroon. And ah. the, um, yeah, we're still a month away from the tournament. So it's obviously very different in terms of the time frame to, um, to obviously, yeah, where it was four years ago, where by now we were already through the group stage. So yeah, it just feels like it's, Feels like it's taking just a lot of time to come round with it, obviously being so late. Just just thinking back to that Cameroon game, that was the real grumpy game, wasn't it? I think Cameroon they weren't they weren't a happy bunch in that game, were they? No, I, I remember I was I was at the game and yeah, it was it was pretty surreal to be honest. I actually spoke and I did an interview with one of the Cameroon players about a year later, and you know, sort of let them put their side of it across, but. Yeah, I think it was one of those things that just kind of spiralled like it was part of one little thing and then that built into another thing and that built into another thing. And I mean, like, it was never really going to change the result of the game. You know, England were, were a different level to, to Cameroon. But yeah. it, was, uh, it was definitely one of the more interesting games I've, I've covered. And, and yeah, the post-match was, was interesting as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know you mentioned um, the the injuries, the TV rights and, and the way the uh, the teams have been sort of eventually released from uh, from their clubs. We'll come on to that in a moment. Um, but I know we haven't spoken since the squad was announced. Did you go to the, the squad announcement at, uh, was it Bullmore um, Club, a football club? Yeah, Baldmere St. Michael's down in... That's uh, right. Outside Birmingham. I wasn't actually there. I, I had a few other things on, but... Um, I've been there a few times over the years with, with Sheffield United because Aston Villa used to play there. But okay. um, no, I wasn't actually at the squad announcement. I mean, there, like, I don't think there was a huge amount going on apart from getting to ask, obviously, Serena a question. Um, the squad dropped by email literally about 30 seconds before it was actually announced. So nobody really had a, an advantage in getting ahead of the game. But um, yeah, it's obviously one of the more sort of interesting days when uh, when the squad gets announced just with regards to the squad uh, obviously taking into account the injuries that we we're fully aware of no real major surprises i don't think are there um not major i mean i, I was surprised to not see my Leticia in the squad at man united i think she's had a fabulous season at, at center back for for united Serena sort of hinted she sees a more of a right back, which is going to be kind of interesting going forward. And I think that's why, you know, they, they went and picked two players that have obviously played right back this season in, in Lucy Bronze and Esme Morgan. And, and they went with other players at centre back. But it's an interesting one. I mean, you almost feel remiss in a way, you know, questioning any decision that Serena Vigman makes because pretty much every decision she's made in the last two years has, has turned to gold. Of course. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise to be a for her not to be in the squad, and then b for her t- to hear that she sort of views Maya more as a right back when she's been outstanding at centre back this season. Um, but you know, Serena put Rachel Daly at left back and, and won the European Championship despite <laughs> the fact she's a striker. So 
Um, if that's what Serena wants to do, I think she's earned the, the leeway at the minute to to get away with it. But yeah, that was. I mean, I think when I did the squad prediction, I got twenty two out of twenty three, and and Maya was the only one I missed. So yeah, that was probably the the one surprise for me. I don't think anything else was was too much of a shock. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm sort of not putting a uh, a kiss of death on things, but the uh, the Lionesses they've all been together now at like St George's Park and things have been sort of they've been quietly getting on with things and there's no been no major incidents or anything come out of the camp yet has there no there's plenty of time you know it's like international football but <laughs> I, I think I think Serena runs it in a way where I, I don't think that's going to happen to be honest so um no it, it's been good I mean you know, I think they're a pretty tight-knit group, particularly off the back of last year. You know, it's not the most different squad in the world. Obviously, you know, there's those those few key players that are are injured, obviously, like Leah Williamson and, and Beth Mead and Frank Kirby. There's obviously been a couple of retirements, but, you know, it's not too dissimilar to the squad from, from last summer. And obviously, the players that have come in have generally been around the squad for the 12 months since. So, yeah, I think it's down to business. I think, like you say, that there's a lot of teams at the moment kind of having these preparation camps that are a bit quieter, a bit understated, just because, again, there's so long until the tournament, you know, not starting until the 19th of July. So, yeah, I think a lot of nations at the moment are just ticking over and, yeah, obviously people trying not to get injured and, and things like that. Obviously, England announced their final squad. You know, they didn't do any of this provisional squad stuff, which a lot of nations have done and, and probably a few players some of the bigger nations like Germany and Netherlands and Spain that announced sort of 28, 29, 30 players and, you know, obviously probably nervously waiting to see who's going home. Um, whereas with England, it's kind of just been down to business. Yep, that's our 23, you know, we know what we're going to do. And, and yeah, I think they're just getting on with it. And, yeah, I think that's the best way to, to go about it. Yeah. I wonder if you could just maybe explain the the whole club and country thing because I know there was an issue with getting like everyone together but wasn't it the the fact that the clubs couldn't release the players um until a a certain time is that right yeah it, it was a bit of a mess I mean there's always a there's always an official FIFA release date for every international camp whether it's a world cup or or just a friendly you know there's always a certain time frame of, of when they join up and and when they go, the FIFA windows and, and the FIFA window for this tournament technically starts on the 10th of July, which is obviously incredibly late. You know, a competition that's at the other side of the world and, and starts nine days later when you take into account the European things they have to get together. They have to do all the fitness, the conditioning. They have to train. They'd like to get a game in. Then obviously you've got basically you take two days out because you've actually got to travel. Um then yeah, it was it was never going to work, and and I'm surprised it was. I think that's just an official date of like this is when, you know, the World Cup window starts. I don't think it was ever, it was ever going to be that squads would meet up on the 10th of July. But I, I think the initial announcement where they said that was what was going to happen that you know we're not going to release players until the 10th of July. I think that was more posturing. I think that was sort of us saying that we're laying down a marker. Right. Let's come to a, a compromise because it would have been it'd have been suicide for so many. For players, for nations to, you know, meet up nine days before a World Cup when you've got to travel to the other side of the world. So it wasn't a shock when they came to this compromise of a window between the 23rd and the 29th of June, because that obviously means they all get, you know, sort of 
four or five weeks rest from when the WSL ended and they get enough time now to prepare for, for the tournament, you know, sort of three weeks and, and get to fly out and, and sort of take the time over everything. But yeah, there's a few clubs still sort of playing hardball. Obviously, England were very adamant. They wanted to meet up on the 19th. That was what they planned all along, what they felt had been agreed. Clubs were sort of like, no, we want to release them on the 23rd. And and obviously, yeah, it's come to obviously fruition that they got their wish, the FA, that they did meet up on the 19th. I think some clubs still weren't overly happy about it. I mean, Bayern Munich, you know, they fully played hardball. You know, they're not releasing their players until the 23rd, which means... Germany's camp has started without any Bayern Munich players. And, and I think that would have been the case with, with Georgia Stanway for England. They released her early. Just They wanted to release her on the, the 23rd. They released her on the 19th only because she was doing some rehab um, with England. I spoke to Bayern Munich and basically they said, look, we wouldn't have released her on the 19th. Otherwise, we would have released her on the 23rd like the rest of our players. But yeah, they came to an agreement that she could go on the 19th purely for... For medical reasons, but yeah, so some clubs like that have been playing hardball, and and you can see both sides of it. Look, the clubs are always going to want to look after themselves. The national yeah. teams are going to look after themselves, and the players get a little bit caught in the middle. It's all been sorted, thankfully, and yeah, I think. But they need to make sure the next time this happens, obviously, with the schedule getting busier and busier, and more games and more demands, that you know it, it's all sort of sorted and agreed a little bit more in advance in four years' time than than it has been now because it's been a bit of a sort of messy situation that hasn't really reflected well on on any party to be honest yeah well speaking of uh messy situations um although this one again has been sort of finalized i, I believe uh is the whole tv rights issues for obviously for for us here in in england and, and across europe um there was talk of potentially not seeing some of the games i don't think it was ever going to come to that but finally they've They've resolved the issues there. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was that. I think, again, it was similar to the DCA situation. I don't think it was ever going to come to that. You know, I think it was a bit of posturing on both sides, sort of the broadcasters trying to sort of pin it on FIFA, FIFA sort of trying to pin it on the broadcasters. And, yeah, obviously they've come to an agreement and, you know, completely the the sensible thing. You know, it needs to be on, on television. It was always the rumour that the UK was a little bit further ahead in terms of their deal anyway, it had kind of been rumoured for some time that it was going to be split between BBC and ITV. I think there was a few more questions about France and Spain and Italy. They've all obviously all come to agreements as well, which is great. But again, similar to the, the ECA situation, you know, these conversations are going to happen. It, it needs sorting further in advance. You can't be having these arguments a month before a tournament because it just looks amateur at a time where, you know, we're going professional and, and we're pushing the professional side of, of the game and, and we're having all these debates one month out from the tournament about whether the tournament's actually going to be broadcast, which is crazy, especially in this country when you think about, you know, England winning last year and what that did and how much attention there was and the really because I get the argument obviously the games are all going to be very early hours here. You know, people are going to be at work and, and they probably won't get the viewing figures they did last year. So I understand wanting to pay less from that point of view. Um but yeah, I, I'm glad that obviously they came to a, a conclusion. And like you say, I, I don't think there was ever a danger that that, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I, I think at the moment, we all we know is that obviously, as you say, BBC and ITV are going to share the tournament, but we just don't know who uh, is going to show 
each particular game. We don't know who is going to show the the Haiti game, the China game, the Denmark game, but I guess that'll that'll come out in due course, I believe. Yeah, we want to avoid the uh, the ITV curse that I keep being <laughs> every time the men's tournament comes around. Yeah, I'm not sure ITV will uh, will be up for that. Feel like screening everyone else apart from England. I don't think they'll uh, they'll be up for that. Although I think they do have, uh, they're on ITV for the the Portugal friendly, I believe. Um, I haven't actually looked. Yeah, I think ITV generally show the the friendly matches. Um, they usually have done so. Um, yeah, obviously it's a good test next week. Another team that's at the World Cup. You know they play reasonably decent football. So yeah, I I, I don't think you're ever going to have an England game now, a women's game that that isn't on TV. I think any England women's game with, with the scope and the expectation and and the excitement around the team. You know, ever since last year, I I don't think you're ever going to get to a point now where whoever you're playing, um, someone's going to show it. Yeah, it might get tipped away and on ITV4 or something like that, but it's still easily accessible if you uh, if you want to access it. Yeah. I mean, the Portugal game, what sort of team do we expect Serena to put out? Is it going to be a full strength or is she going to mix things up? Is she going to try something new, do we think? I think generally everything we've seen with Serena is she goes with what she wants. Um I think it will very much resemble the team that she plans to to put out against against Haiti. I think she'll make changes as the game goes on, obviously, but even when she makes changes in friendlies, they tend to structure around the kind of changes that she would make in a competitive game um, in terms of when they come on, you know, on the hour mark or the 75 minutes or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think I think she'll go strong. I think it wouldn't shock me if the team that starts against Portugal is is the team that starts against um, Haiti a few weeks later. Okay. Uh, and just on Serena Vikman, she um, she received her CBE the other day from the Prince mm-hmm. of Wales at um, St George's Park, didn't she? She was quite overwhelmed by that. Yeah, I mean, she's English now, so <laughs> that's uh, she's ours. Um, yeah, look, it, it was well-deserved, and, and obviously a few of the girls got Got various honours as well, and you know, rightly so. I mean, it was a, it was an incredible achievement. You know, we've not seen anything like that. Obviously, most of this generation, because it's only nineteen sixty six. You know that you know another team that's won a major tournament. So, yeah, it was it was incredible. It feels like a long time ago now, um, and it was only well, it wasn't even it was eleven months ago. But yeah, it feels like a lot's happened since then. But yeah, um, I mean. She couldn't have made a bigger impact, could she? Since she came no. in, um, I think uh, I think a CV is the least that she deserves because whatever happens now, you know, whenever Serena leaves the England job, even if the World Cup was an utter disaster and they went right, well, you know, we're, we're letting you go, and I don't think that would ever happen. But even if that was the worst case scenario, she still leaves with, you know, a legacy that nobody's ever going to forget. Yeah, too right. So the World Cup is is fast approaching. I know you've been really busy um, of late, keeping tabs on uh, each individual country's squads, and and as you say, some of them are still yet to or even meet up. But what what have you picked up on from some of the other nations, participating nations that perhaps uh, we may have missed? Depressingly, just how many players are missing through injury. Um, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, the US obviously put their squad out yesterday. Their captain, Becky Sauerbrunn's not quite made it. Mal Swanson's out, you know, ACL. Katarina Macario still recovering from her ACL. Obviously, Miedemar from the Netherlands, ACL. And, you know, Delphine Cascarillo, you know, just, just one player of the year in France. She's did her ACL right at the end of the season. Katoto, you know, great striker, still hasn't recovered from her ACL at, at the Euros last year. Obviously, mentioned Williamson and and Beth Mead and, and there's a few others, obviously, at, at different countries. But, yeah, just an incredible amount of unbelievable footballers. Obviously, the Spain situation as well. You know, there's still a few players missing from that squad that have decided not to come back. Obviously, a lot of them have. Um, but there's still three that have sat it out. You know, great players like Patrick Guiardo and, and Matthew Leon, for example, which is, which is a real shame. But... Yeah, look, still some strong squads and, and I think you look at some of even maybe the, and I say it in sort of inverted commas, the lesser teams, they've still got some real quality in their, their teams that play in top leagues and play in top teams. And there'll always be those question marks about, you know, with it being the first tournament that has 32 teams, is there going to be that golfing quality? Are we going to see a, a you know, a, a USA 13-0 again like yeah. we did ago when they played Thailand, you know, they played Vietnam this time around and there's a lot of new nations that have, have got very young squads like you know, the Philippines for example, another one, but it's great, you know I, I, I'm glad it's 32 teams because you know, you want to see these nations the only way they improve is is to get this kind of opportunity you know, you imagine what it's going to do for women's football in the Philippines or women's football in Vietnam or, or Zambia or Morocco or Panama, wherever, you know, these new nations that have never been at a World Cup before, the attention that it's going to bring to their countries. So, yeah, we might still see the odd big result, but I think we're going to, you know, there's some some great groups. You know, you've got France and Brazil in the same group and Spain and Japan and, you know, there's a couple of Australia, Canada, you know, another one. So, yeah, there's... Um, there's some great groups and, and yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great tournament. I don't, I keep, people keep asking me who's going to win and, and I really wish they wouldn't because I genuinely never know how to answer it because I think, I think everyone has their flaws with, with obviously the injuries that a lot of the top nations have. Um, there's very few nations in that sort of top, that first pot that don't have at least one key player missing through injury. So yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really interesting tournament. Well, I wasn't going to ask you who you think was, hmm. was going to win it. What I was going to ask you was who would be maybe a team that may surprise? Uh, I think it's really hard because I think there's so many, I think there's seven or eight nations that probably feel like they can win it and they're sort of the obvious ones. And I think it's it's kind of hard for anybody outside of that to yeah. have a chance. I think there's a few teams that, that need a big tournament. I think Norway need a big tournament, obviously off the back of, you know, what was a, a pretty shambolic Euros. Obviously they have a new head coach. And I mean, you know, you can argue they've got one of the best front threes in the world. You know, Guru Wrighton at Chelsea, Arda Hegerberg at Leon, Carolina Graham Hansen at Barcelona. Like it, it doesn't get any better than that. And they've got Frieda Martin behind who's, who's had an unbelievable year at Arsenal. And they haven't got the worst group. You know, they've got Switzerland, they've got, New Zealand, who I don't think have, have won a game since since last year, and and Philippines, as I mentioned, you know, a pretty much brand new side. So I think Brazil are really exciting now. You know, they haven't really been 
quite there the last few tournaments. They're a little bit unlucky that they're in France's group, but you know they were very good against England in the, the finalissima a few months ago. Yeah. Even France, you know, I think France will be interesting to watch. Obviously, there was always those question marks about the you know the togetherness and, and things under Corinne Diacre. Obviously, Hervé Renard's gone in there, brought players back in. Eugenie Le Sommer and Amadine Henri are back in, but obviously, like I said, they're still without. You know, they've lost Katoto, they've lost Cascarino, which are big blows, but that'll be interesting to see if, if things change for them now that everyone seems to be a bit more happy and, and settled. But, yeah, I think the the reality is you're still looking at your England, your USA's, your Germany's, you know, that you kind of expect to win it. But I think there's definitely scope there that a team like a Norway, a Brazil, a France, you know, could have a good run. But... I, whether they'd be quantified as shocks, I don't know. But yeah. I think um, I, I don't think you're going to see anybody sort of out of the obvious make a push towards, you know, the semi-finals or whatnot. It'd be fantastic if they did. You know, everyone, you know, you look at Morocco, for example, the the men's World Cup last year it was yes. it was incredible. Like I, I still think there's that bigger gap in the women's game where that's not going to happen. But you know, you'd you'd love to see it, obviously, if if it did, because I think. You know, that gripped and everybody in sort of Morocco became everybody's sort of second nation. Yeah, you all get that. Uh, if you get that rub of the green, as cliche as it is, it, it could fall for you. Uh, I think we are, well, we're just under 50 days until it all kicks off. Um, I can imagine you're going to be very busy. Um, we can uh, obviously catch up with you. You've got your Twitter account and the the Substack as well, where we can read all about it. But uh, maybe if we can squeeze something in beforehand, we'll try. But if not, uh, appreciate how busy you are. But uh, thanks for thanks for joining us here. No worries, mate. Thank you. My many thanks to Rich Laverty there. You can find him on Twitter at Rich J Laverty. He's also got his Substack. You can find that. Just Google that. Uh, since we spoke, though, uh, the TV fixtures have since been announced. You may have seen the uh, the adverts on the likes of ITV. Uh, they've got a lioness prowling through a park. Uh, but those TV schedules are Saturday the 22nd of July, England against Haiti, kickoff at 10.30. That will be shown on ITV. Friday the 28th of July, 9.30 kickoff, England against Denmark. That's the one being played in Sydney. Uh, that's on the BBC. And then the last game in the group against China, Tuesday the 1st of August, midday. That's on ITV. You can find all the games that both BBC and ITV are screening. Uh, the BBC have actually got a link uh, to it on their website, on the Sport website. Go and find that if should you want to watch any of the other games. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Paul Letters, uh, curator of the website and various Twitter accounts, Not Your Average England Fan. We're going to Australia to say hello to Paul. Hi, Russell. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all, all good. Can't complain. 
Good stuff. It's uh, this particular episode. It's always good to to get like the perspective from our from our host country or one of the host countries. You're over there in Australia. Whereabouts are you in Australia? Just remind us. We're on the Gold Coast, which is about an hour's drive south of Brisbane, um, and near the border with New South Wales. So Sydney's about a nine-hour drive south of us, and Brisbane and one hour to the north. Gotcha, gotcha. So the World Cup it starts in around well, thirty days uh, until it all kicks off. What's the general feeling over in Australia at the moment about it all? What what are people getting excited about? I think um, what people are getting excited about are the Matildas. They're very proud of the, the Matildas team, the Australian women's team. And I would say it's, in my opinion, the most kind of unifying Australian national sports team. You know, like if you compare it to their kind of rugby codes or, or cricket teams, I think it's the Matildas that gets the most kind of uh, attention. The, the Socceroos, the men's football team, Got a bit of attention by you know getting through to the getting out of the group stages and through to the knockouts in in Qatar, obviously in the men's World Cup. Um, but overall, there's much more attention on on Sam Kerr and Co in in the women's team. But and also in, in football, you know, for a lot of people, particularly in older generations, doesn't register anything like so much as the sort of domestic sports of AFL and uh, rugby league. Uh, in in particular so i asked obviously i particularly know aussies who who like sport and particularly who like who like football and i've asked one or two of them so do you think australia knows what's coming australia as a whole do do you think they know they're about to host their biggest sporting event since sydney 2000 and the biggest women's sporting event the world's ever seen and the responses have just been nope i don't think they do (laughs) really (laughs) yeah i mean there's this kind of there's this this niche group um, of people who are passionately into football, and then lots in the younger generations. There are thousands and thousands in the Gold Coast area. There are dozens of football clubs, and just our nearest one, Rabina, um, which by the way, Lyndon Dykes used to play for, and has plays for Scotland. Right. Um, yeah, Rabina has about 500 kids playing for it. And that's just one of dozens of, 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 of clubs. And there's lots of women's teams as well as men's teams and, and, and kids teams. So the Gold Coast is, I guess, a kind of young area as well, you know, um, where, you know, it hasn't got the established sports where AFL just dominates, um, down in, uh, Melbourne, for example. So yeah, it's a it's a real mix. It depends who you who you talk to, but there are these absolute, of course, passionate football fans. Some of whom uh, Australian football fans. I mean, some of whom I met at the airport on the way um, to Qatar from from Brisbane, and of course others in Qatar who will follow the men's and women's teams just where, wherever around the world. But you know, in your average workplace, you need to hunt out the person who might have an interest in in football but if you say the word sam kerr then you, you usually get some recognition oh yeah i mean she the the post the poster girl um on like the tv channels and or, like the advertising she advertising i don't know shredded wheat or something like that yeah, she will be i gotta admit i don't pay too much attention but about what she's advertising but yes she's she you see her face a lot and all, all the kind of video montages as as well when the channels are advertising uh um the, fo- the football coming up um yeah you see her face uh an, an awful lot and of course she's on the face of like the fifa um yeah. football game 
oh, as course, well. Yeah. Pretty well known. You mentioned the the Olympics. Uh, it was the Sydney Olympics back in 2000 that um, Australia hosted. Do you think this is as big an event, maybe if not bigger, um, for for that Southern Hemisphere part of the world? I think it's going to depend how you know how you judge that in terms of statistics. I mean, it's going to have well over a million people going to matches the and then when you look at kind of worldwide tv audiences we we just we just don't know we know it's surely going to be the biggest worldwide tv audience for any women's world cup but whether it's going to be bigger than the olympics i mean i'm sure if you ask that question in sydney um sydney siders are so you know passionate about sydney 2000 still that, that that they wouldn't be able to see anything that could possibly come close to it but for the for the rest of Australia, if you're in or near the capital cities that well, the cities that have got games like Brisbane and Melbourne and Adelaide and, and Perth and so on, then yeah, I like to think you, you're definitely going to know about it. I, I would like to think, and that it's it's going to be a big deal. But even then, it it comes down to the host cities. I remember going to. Uh, when I went to Russia for the Men's World Cup and in, in Moscow, yeah, it was all about the football. We went over to St. Petersburg um, for, a, for a game and uh, outside of the fan park, it was hard to tell that the World Cup was going on. They just hadn't really kind of decorated the city, oh, right. um, or at least the bits of it that, that we saw. So even within one World Cup in one country, it can it can be different from what I've seen between cities. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I know Brisbane is, is going to have a fantastic fan park right on the river. There's an area called South Bank, which is they've built a, a kind of a big beach area, a, load, a sandy beach and um, decent sized area for, for swimming in. And then, then there's kind of grass areas and um, kind of like there's also um, museums on the south on the South Bank as, as well. So I've no doubt that that's going to be a good place, the Brisbane Fan Park, for watching games. The Sydney Fan Park's in uh, Darling Harbour, which is in the city centre um, and is a, is a lovely you know, kind of open area again. And, and the other cities will have will all have their their, their fan parks. So it'll just be a bit colder down down south in Melbourne <laughs> and New Zealand because it is our winter, of course. Of course. So just just personal memory coming back there i've been to both um darling harbour and the um the, the brisbane area that you mentioned that the fan park would be in that sort of man-made beach sort of area i think that's the first time i took my daughter to a uh, an outside sort of swimming area she was only i don't know six months old then and putting her in the water there but uh isn't there a big a big ferris wheel down there in the brisbane area yeah, that, yeah, it's um, is it? I think it's a little bit away from where the fan park's going to be, but nothing, nothing's too far in the centre of Brisbane to no. to get. Lovely, lovely area, of Brisbane. Really like that there. But yeah, you mentioned the the weather. It's your winter. Um, what what do we what do we mean by winter? Is it comparable to a uh, an English winter? Well, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I hesitate. New Zealand probably is it's been a long i have been there in winter but it was a very long long time ago and i just remember yeah it was cold melbourne as well i've been to in sort of may time so sort of late autumn early winter and yeah that that was probably not not far off the uk but it's yeah i was just looking up in melbourne today though it's been 12 degrees um where we are on the gold coast and and brisbane's been about 25 degrees 
which is it's certainly got colder than than, than that. Kind of eighteen to twenty has probably been more normal over the last sort of uh, month or so. But during the daytime, it's sunny almost every day up here anyway in Queensland and Gold Coast and Brisbane. Pretty sunny in, in Sydney as well. Um, about 17 to 20 degrees in Sydney at the moment. I mean, daytime temperatures. So yeah, you'll be plenty warm in the daytime. And then in the evening, once the sun goes down and it's, you know, it's, it goes down by, uh, but before six o'clock at the moment where I am, then it definitely gets cool and we'll get to single digits in the evening, even up in, uh, in Brisbane way. So yeah, colder than that, obviously further south. So I'm thinking that from the from the lioness's perspective, that sort of temperature will be sort of ideal for for what we're kind of used to. Yeah, they, I, mean, I, I think so too. And um, yeah, I mean, where they're going for their their games as well. Their first one um, is up here in Brisbane. It's, it's going to be their warmest one in terms of group games. They've got Sydney and they've got Adelaide as well in, in South Australia. So they're not going right down to Melbourne, obviously not to New Zealand. So Adelaide should be their coolest. Looks like about 11 to 13 degrees daytime temperature there this week. The, the ground, I'm sure you've you've been to the, the, the stadium in Brisbane, Lang Park. Um, I've been there myself. It's a, uh, a lovely little ground. I like that one. Is it easy to, to get around? From your perspective, yeah, it's easy. It's easy to get around. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, when, when I saw Lang Park, I first time I saw that, I had to look that up. And say, well, yeah, they change it, that? don't they? Of course, because all these stadiums uh, are sponsored generally by insurance companies. So it's known as the Suncorp Stadium, yeah. but of course, for FIFA, it can't be that. And sim- similar in for yeah, the, in in Sydney and Perth and the other ones. Um, it's uh i mean there's not a train station doesn't go like kind of straight into it or anything but you could there's like relatively short walks from from train stations well there's plenty of buses and then there's no doubt going to be more put on the the public transport will be free it always is for if you've got tickets for yeah. a, a sporting event anyway so and they'll but they're bound to be putting extra extra buses on to get around it's not it's not big distances you've got to cover yeah, and just going down to the the ground in Sydney, the Sydney Football Stadium. I think that's I think that's been rebuilt a couple of times. That one, I know. When when I went to Sydney, um, I saw a ground, but it certainly doesn't look like um, that one I saw. Um, is it? We all know the the various landmarks in Sydney. Is is this one an easy one to get to, like by public transport? Yeah, well, there's two in Sydney. So there's um, Stadium Australia, which is at the Sydney 2000 Olympic site, which is like half an hour on public transport out of the city centre, but then there's yeah the Sydney Football Stadium, which is which is closer in. But I've not been to that, but it's ah. it's closer to the centre. Gotcha. And then the, have you been to down to Adelaide to the the Hindmarsh Stadium where they're going to be playing China? No, I've been to Adelaide uh, a while ago, but I know I've not I've not been to that stadium um i think it's a bit probably a bit smaller but it's a very small city adelaide so again getting i mean it's the tiniest of all these cities that we've mentioned Mm. so getting around it is is not going to be hard i think actually that's that stadium there is is the smallest one within the whole competition obviously you've got um the the two in in sydney the the main one i think which will host the final is eighty three thousand. yet this one is it's about eighteen thousand, so it's certainly the, the smallest one within the the tournament. 
Yeah, yeah, I, that yeah, that, that that does make sense. Yeah, and just looking at the other one in Sydney, so the one that's not the Olympic Stadium, yeah, the is right in the city centre, near near Paddington. Yeah, I'd forgotten that actually, but um, yeah, I used to twenty five years ago when I was a backpacker, I used to live a couple of miles away from there. <laughs> oh, the dreams there. <laughs> yeah. The um, I mean, what what are the the media saying about maybe other nations? Are they are they talking about the lionesses? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that there's there's been a bit of chat. But it's it's there's it an awful lot of focus on Australia and what they can do, and and of course the fact that the Australia beat the lionesses two uh, 0 yeah. this year that gets a bit of a get gets a bit of attention here. Um, the USA would be the obvious, you know, other yeah. one. Um, Canada, they're in Australia's uh, group. And Canada came here and played Australia twice last year. We we went to the Brisbane game there, and Australia lost both of those games to Canada. So that will be a concern for Australia. Although they feel in a more confident position now than they did uh, last year, that's for sure. I see. I mean, from um, we we just spoke off air uh, before the timing of it of the whole competition is a little strange with regards to like the the schooling. Um, over in Australia, when when a tournament comes around, to a, a regular sort of men's World Cup, I think like school holidays are on just by sort of coincidence. This time, that's not happening. No, yeah, not 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 at all. Um, so we're on our sort of winter holidays now, and for the next couple of weeks, but I hesitate because it does vary a little bit from state to state. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll be back at work. I think about ten days before the. The World Cup starts you know, almost probably almost two weeks, and uh, New South Wales is, is a week later than than me in Queensland. So they'll go back to school, and then the World Cup will start. So yeah, it's it's it is very frustrating. I think there is a real missed opportunity. For example, when uh, Southeast Queensland has the Olympics in twenty thirty two, which would I'd expect to be a similar kind of timing dates wise, just because that's when the Olympics is, i.e. not not naturally in school holidays. Mm. But I would be amazed if if they don't change, at least in Queensland, if they don't change the school holidays to fit to overlap with the Olympics, because that the Olympics is so sort of revered here. But I've not seen any discussion of of, of that for the for the Women's World Cup, which is which is a shame. Absolutely. Although I guess in Whilst we've got games, uh, we'll be watching games on the telly here. I think the England, the first game um, against Haiti, I think is maybe about 7am. Uh, I can't remember the Denmark one, but I think the China game is is a midday kickoff. Over there, I'm guessing that a lot of yours will be evening or late afternoon, early evening. Yeah, they're pretty much yeah mainly late afternoon, early evening. There's the occasional earlier afternoon one from, from what I saw, but certainly the games that I was... Uh, uh, looking at and, and able to get to our late afternoon, uh, evening, or, or weekend. So, have you yourself? Have you got any tickets to any of the games? Yeah, um, got tickets for England against um, Haiti in, in Brisbane. I've got um, tickets for the Matildas uh, game against uh, Nigeria in Brisbane, and what else have we got? Uh, Brazil against France. Um, in Brisbane, and we've also got if England win their group, 
their game is round of 16 will be in Brisbane as well. So I've got tickets for that game, whoever whoever ends up in it. I think it's a possibility um, that could be Australia and the Matildas, couldn't it? It could, yeah. So if Canada win their group and yeah, Matildas come second and England win their group, then that's a round of 16 that well, nobody here really wants as <laughs> the round of 16. Right. It's too early in the tournament. Well, uh, but it could, it, it, I mean, it could well happen. It's probably, there's probably more likelihood of that happening than any, than any other kind of permutation I'd have thought in terms of like the rankings of the teams and so on. Absolutely. And we've also got tickets for the final in, um, in Sydney. Uh, so and, and for quarter final as well in, in Brisbane, but yeah, we'll be down the final in Sydney. So if hoping England get there, obviously if they don't, we'll be hoping Australia does because I think it'd be really good for for football here if Australia do well. Of course, yeah, wow, that's very exciting. Um, I mean, for for people coming across to Australia, what what's the talk of accommodation? I know previous World Cups. Um, I know you, you, we shouldn't compare, but like generally when the men's one comes round, there's all this chatter about all oh, accommodation is really expensive and and that sort of things so what's what's the feeling this time i'm i'm not seeing uh any kind of like big stress here and there's been a few questions asked on sort of facebook groups and then they're kind of easily easily answered but there's not been anybody saying they can't find any accommodation or all the accommodation is is too expensive and we only booked our hotel in Sydney for the final uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we had plenty of choice and kind of normal prices. And Australia's not che- not not cheap, but uh, it, I, I don't see the prices having gone up. That's good. Good to hear. For uh, an, a Lioness fan coming out to say the first game um, in Brisbane, that one against Haiti on the twenty second of July, uh, what what should a uh, an England fan seek out in Brisbane or the Brisbane area? What what recommendations would you give to them? Yeah, well, and I mentioned it earlier, but I think the first thing I would say is get down to the South Bank, even when there's not a fan park there. As you know, it's a great area to to hang out. So with the fan park there, yeah, I definitely definitely want to be getting uh, getting down there. And then you're going to want to kind of do your your wildlife uh, side of things. I think from certainly for most most families, there's um well your sport for choice. You've got Australia Zoo about an hour north. So if you're up for a day trip, that's set up by the Steve Irwin's uh, family and yes. still run by by his kids. Um, so yeah, so that's a brilliant uh, visit. And then you've got koala uh, sanctuaries w- closer than that within Brisbane um, as well. There's yeah several to choose from. And then if you want to come down the Gold Coast in my area, it's about an hour south. There's all sorts of uh, theme parks like Movie World and um there's a, a wet and wild a sea world i wish i had my son here because he could tell you uh <laughs> more about more of them but, but yeah it's basically lots of theme parks um and also more kind of smaller wildlife parks kind of small friendly um easier often to kind of get close to the to the animals mind you you can hold a koala in just about any wildlife park in australia from what from the ones we've been to you, you'll get wild um kangaroos uh as well once you get out of the city of, of, of brisbane and you'll get you know there's wild uh koalas in between where i am now and brisbane i've seen them uh, several times without having to try too hard and right. that's not a particularly you know it's a mainly um populated area by people i mean but but there are big enough patches of of green that 
yeah, you've, you've still got that going on. Yeah, but yeah, in Brisbane, there's there's all sorts of uh, museums. There's like walks along the the river. It's just a nice area to hang out. And even though it's winter, like it's normally sunny and twenty odd degrees at this time of year. There's, wow. there's barbecue areas like like gas barbecues that so you bring your own you know kind of food and uh you can just use it and no charge the, the the public barbecues which people who've been to australia are probably familiar with but if you've never been before they're they're all over the place yeah it's uh it's a bit of a strange concept when you first see all these um these these barbecues there and you think oh just pitch up and and use that and yeah sure you can um i mean I yeah mean- first thing you're sort of looking for looking for a slot to put your money in but yes, you don't need yes. <laughs> yeah, no. it's great great innovation um and then obviously going down to to sydney and you said it's what nine hours drive from yourself obviously um there are flights in between is there a train line down there no so yeah in between the the big cities you really you're flying or getting like a greyhound style bus or or driving hiring a car and yeah about yeah nine hour drive like i say so that's your choices you've got the hunter valley kind of all right it's on the way but maybe half an hour off of the off of the motorway so if you depends if you you know what time you've got if you want to do a bit of wine tasting that's a lovely area to hang out um it really yeah, it really does depend on time and on, on looking on the facebook groups on of england fans most are sort of coming into brisbane for like two days or sydney for three or four days and, and moving on so it's kind of limited because i was going to say actually about brisbane there's some lovely islands just uh, like a 45 minute ferry ride um off brisbane for example you've got um strat Stradi, it's known as stradbrook mm-hmm. island which is where the couple of two or three times we've been there it's just yeah seen uh, loads of kangaroos koalas um you know very easy to see and often at the ground or low down uh, as opposed to um, high up in trees where you can barely see them. So there's Morton Island as well off Brisbane. Um, but yeah, like to get to Sydney, it's yeah, plane, coach or car. Yeah, there's a, what's it? The, the game is on the 22nd against Haiti and then the 28th against Denmark down in Sydney. So there's, there's a little while to get down there in between them. Um, got all these memories now coming back, flooding back to me of, uh, of that sort of area and yeah slightly envious of those that are going um i must admit uh, of course there are there are games in new zealand as well england aren't um playing out there but there's there's four grounds over there in the main major cities auckland dunedin hamilton and wellington it's important we don't forget those but i think the majority of the focus will be on australia because of literally where that's where the lionesses will be playing but uh yeah it's certainly coming up fast um I don't know if there's anything else that you'd, you'd want to mention for us there, Paul. Um, just that if anyone is looking for any kind of help or advice, whether it's accommodation or, or transport, um, feel free to get in touch with me. You can do that through Not Your Average England Fan on uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, or the or the webpage, NotYourAverageEnglandFan.com. Um, and I've also actually got my own webpage, PaulLetters.com, well, I run. Um, I've written a couple of books and run a, a history podcast with my son, as well as doing all the all the football stuff. So, if anyone's interested in that, then uh, they they can have a look and also get in touch with me. And be if I don't know the answers, I'll be happy to find out. And, you know, when you live somewhere, you always know who to ask or where to ask to to get the information, even if you don't have it to hand. No, absolutely, very kind of you to uh, offer. I will, of course, uh, link to 
the not your average England fan um, Twitter account so people can can get in touch. I mean, hopefully as the, the competition goes on, maybe we can arrange a time to uh, just have a chat and you sort of you can update us how it's all going, maybe. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, it'd be really good. So yeah, just uh, let me know. I'll be up Ex- for that. Excellent. Paul, thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, in, enjoy the build-up, enjoy the excitement. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll speak again. Great. Thanks, Russell. All the best. Many thanks to Paul there. He alluded to his podcast that he does with his son, James. Uh, you can find that at dadandmelovehistory.com. Uh, and as the title suggests, it's history-based. But there's also, within that, some episodes on the foundations of Australia and some specifically uh, on Brisbane too. Well worth a listen. And should you want to follow Paul on Twitter, on his Twitter account, not your average England fan, he did mention it, but it is at NYA England fan. NYA England fan. Uh, and I did mention within that conversation there the incorrect kickoff times um, for the Haiti game. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the episode when I was speaking about the TV schedules, uh, that Haiti game is actually 10.30. So there we go. Uh, thanks to Rich. Thanks to Paul. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you found it helpful. If you are going uh, to Australia to watch the, the Lionesses and you'd like to put your side of it across on the uh, the podcast, if you want to tell us how it's going, please do get in touch uh, love to hear your your stories, what it's like to be out there. I'm sure we'll, as I say, we'll be speaking with Paul again. But yeah, just get in touch. I am, of course, on various social media channels. Just search at Three Lions Podcast. You can find it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual ones. As the uh, the tournament comes around, no doubt I'll be speaking more about it. I have got a previous um episode it was done prior to the the 2019 france world cup where i spoke with three former players who have played at the world cup um just search that on three lionspodcast.com i think it's three women three world cups is what it's called but i'll link to it again so many thanks for joining me hope i'll catch up with you soon until the next time take care of yourselves cheers <laughs>